What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Jason Khalifa's actions and accomplishments speak for themselves devoted father world champion and global businessman after years of rigorous training, Jason earned the title of fittest man on earth and finished first in the 2008 CrossFit Games. His hard work and insatiable drive paid off and his company, NC Fit, grew to success. Jason thought he had overcome insurmountable obstacles throughout his career, but nothing prepared him for the moment when his daughter, Ava, was diagnosed with leukemia. Tasked with facing what no parent should ever have to confront, he had two choices— Succumb to overwhelming anger or jump headfirst into the fight. He chose the latter. Looking to receive 20% off the brand that Men's Health says has the training short of the year? That brand is 10,000. Head to 10,000.cc forward slash WGYT and you get 20% off. Yes, 20% off your entire order. This brand is my favorite when it comes to athletic apparel. They're your go-to short for Metcons, high-intensity interval training sessions, short runs, and anything else you can think of. Comfortable and lightweight with an optional built-in liner, the interval short was created with versatility and mobility in mind. I just picked up a pair, and I am absolutely loving it. Head to 10,000.cc forward slash WGYT, and you've got 20% off your entire order. Jason, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Like I was... uh... I'm a, I'm a couple shots deep with espresso and I'm ready to rock and roll. Yeah, no, uh, we, we've got a lot of coffee drinkers who tune in this podcast. So I would love hearing a little bit about your new espresso routine. What machine did you go with and why'd you go with that? Um, I did a lot of research on this. I uh, Primarily, it was a byproduct of I wanted to have a grinder and the espresso unit built into one instead of a grinder outside and then a separate espresso unit, uh, mainly because... I feel like it would take up less space on the countertop. I want to just kind of start off with a good, solid starter kit for home. And I went with a Breville. Uh, it was moderately affordable at $600. And then from there, once I actually looked at, hey, how often am I using it? What's the product it's producing? Then I could go ahead and step up my game. But I didn't want to go out there and spend, you know, three to 5000 on a better machine until I first kind of honed in my skills at a, at a easier, easier level. And so that's what I got. I got a Breville, been practicing it, um, and uh, yeah, ready, ready to rock and roll, feeling good. Because I had, to, I have to test out the pressure, the pressure, and how hard you pack the espresso. And th- there's a few different metrics that you have to get right. Otherwise, the espresso can either pour too short and it becomes too watery, or pour too long and it becomes bitter. And so it's kind of this game you got to play. On a typical morning when you're not having six espressos, how many do you typically have? <laughs> Well, I mean, I just got the espresso machine. So typically I use, um, I do pour overs. And so I'm a big pour over fan. Um, generally because I've been doing the keto diet, I will do pour over coffee with, um, some MCT oil and, uh, some, you know, grass fed basic butter. And, um, typically I'll, I'll do that. Uh, but this morning I didn't do that and I did espresso. So you mentioned the keto diet. What led you to that? I know it's a popular trend right now. Is this something you've been playing with for a while or is this a new thing for you? Um, my wife came to me about a month ago, January 1st, or a little bit before and was like, Hey, I want to try keto. And I said, why do you want to try it? She said, because this is this. I said, great. Like if you want to do it, I'll do it. And so it's really been just a way to support her. Um, 
and, and so I'm going to do it as long as she wants to do it. And so I, I like the way it makes me feel. I think I have good, consistent energy. Uh, I've been pretty diligent about it. Basically her and I get most of our carbohydrates from either leafy greens or wine. And so those, that's the, the way we get our carbohydrates. Huge wine fans on this podcast. We've had a number of vineyard owners on when you're pouring a glass, what's your favorite glass? Um, I mean, because again, I, I'm still developing my palate for cabs and things like that. Um, traditionally, we'll just find some good Pinots or some California cabs like Dariush and these different brands. Uh, I'm really lucky that where I live, I have access to Napa Valley, Sonoma Valley, and we have access to really good wines. And um, I've also learned that with wine, you know, it's not just the most expensive one that's the best. I mean, it depends on your palate. For me, uh, you know, we try a lot of different things, so it's been good, but I don't like Bordeaux. I'm not a Bordeaux guy. I, I got to work into that. Yep. I'm a huge California cab guy as well. I'll send over a few recommendations after this. You've talked about a few things you do in the morning. What's a typical routine? So it's 8 a.m. right now on a Wednesday. I don't know how prototypical today is for you. What's a usual day like? Um, traditionally, you know, it's getting up relatively early and I'm not, you know, not Jocko Willick early. I mean, we're talking like six, uh, I, a lot of times I do hot, cold work. This morning I didn't, meaning I will um, turn on my sauna and then I also have a swimming pool and I'm in California. So it doesn't get like freezing, but it gets really cold. And right now, because obviously it's wintertime. And so I'll sit in the pool for about 20 to 30 deep breaths and then I'll go in the sauna. I'll do a little bit of that and then I'll get in some type of cardio uh, workout uh, traditionally. And then I'll get into see the kids. And then I'll get into work. And then after work, you know, I, while I'm at work, I'll obviously throw in a workout and then I try and get home for dinner. And then I try and play with the kids until they go to bed. And then after they go to bed, then I'll, I'll get back on the emails. And really that's, that's been a component of this idea of the AMRAP mentality where I segment out my day and I try and work on as many reps as possible in each facet throughout the duration, whether it be work, fitness, or time with the family. You mentioned the AMRAP mentality. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but you did say the hot, cold contrast we just had on your buddy, Josh Bridges. He starts off the morning with that. Also, Will Ahmed, CEO of Whoop, the data collecting device, they both do the exact same thing. So I'm interested, what type of sauna do you have? Are you infrared or are you in a barrel sauna? Yeah, I'm in an infrared. And uh, yeah, I mean, I know Will and I know Josh. And so the motivation for the cold plunge really came from Josh. And he, it was really inspiring to me because uh, basically it's not just because of the, um, the, the benefits, the health benefits that you could look up. A lot of it for me is I could care less about that. It's more about the mental benefits that, you know, I walk into an uncomfortable position and I'm trying to overcome that. And then what else for the rest of the day, am I going to be able to go up to that might be uncomfortable and then overcome it. And so I think a lot of it for me is that, um, as far as the infrared sauna, I like it. Um, I have one from a company called Sunlighten. However, um, I, I may also look into a traditional sauna as well, just because the type of heat is totally different. So it depends what you're looking for. Yeah, no, I, I'm a huge fan of the barrel saunas, get that temperature up a little bit more, but I just heard a great stuff around the infrared. I mean, you mentioned it, it's, it's how much better you do feel and the science can say so much, but when you just feel better throughout the day, it's absolutely unbelievable. You have any other non-negotiables you do? Um, no, I mean, in the morning, it's just, no, I, I, as of right now, it's just jumping to that kind of stuff, getting the body pumping in some different way always makes me feel better. And 
No, for me, I mean, the only non-negotiable in my life that I have every day is I will exercise, period. I mean, 95% of the time it's some type of CrossFit workout, but it's also obviously some type of jujitsu as well. And um, that's a non-negotiable for me. If I'm not working out, I'm not feeling right. And so that's always going to happen in my life. So here's a constant struggle I have. What about when you push your body to the brink and you just, you know, you need a day of recovery, but I mean, just in the back of your mind, all you can think about is getting that workout in. How do you determine if you're going to do that workout or maybe taking that day off and getting a little rest? I mean, if it's, if I'm really feeling beat up, like really, really beat up, then I'll try and just get a win by doing some basic cardio or some basic movement. But, uh, for the most part, I feel good. Um, that's just listening to your body and being okay with taking a day where you're just doing cardio or just being low key, because really what happens is when you start incorporating load, that's where your body starts really getting stimulated and you get really sore from doing, you know, this external load on your body. When I just do cardio type stuff, I don't, I don't get as sore as long. And so I might just go ahead and switch it up and just ride the bike for 20, 30 minutes. Gotcha. So what got you into Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Um, for me, I used to own, um, well, I mean, I still own the business, but I used to own a location where we had some extra space. And so I subleased it to a jujitsu guy. And I really fell in love with the idea of watching it. It was like chess. They were moving like artists and it was really beautiful to me. But at the time I would just do it a little bit, but I couldn't get injured because I was competing at the highest level in CrossFit. So once I got out of competing at the highest level, I, I was looking for something to test me physically, but also um, emotionally, um, and breaking through this barrier. And I found that, that, uh, that jujitsu did that for me. It constantly gets me uncomfortable. And, uh, I like that about it. And and obviously the self-defense component is great. Yeah. No, a reoccurring theme already in this talk is you getting uncomfortable. Uh, Have you always been like that even since a kid? No, I mean, I think, I think a little bit, but I, I, it really kind of kicked in when I was in college. I was at a junior college and I just kind of had to get my stuff together. I think in high school and even before high school, I was able to get by. I was able to just kind of be the class clown, the popular guy, whatever. And then I think I got to junior college. And I just woke up that, you know, life doesn't, it's not A's, B's, C's. It's, Hey, you got to reach your potential. And I feel like I wasn't reaching my potential inside so to kind of put stuff together. And one of the ways I like doing that was, um, you know, trying to find ways to push myself mentally and physically pushing yourself mentally and physically. I love that mentality. You've got the AMRAP mentality, as many reps as possible. We're going to talk a lot about that. And I've been a fan of yours for a while. When I first got introduced to CrossFit, what you were capable of. But then your story really hit me when something that happened in 2016. I mean, you're a CrossFit Games champion, a true competitor. You've been challenged out there. But in 2016, you were rocked when your daughter, Ava, was diagnosed with leukemia. Can, can you talk about that? Are you comfortable talking about that? Yeah. I mean, obviously that was a really tough time in our life. And, um, since then she's done extremely well. It took us two and a half years and we are now, um, uh, she finished chemotherapy March 29th of last year. So we're a couple months away from, um, being one year out of treatment, which is a huge landmark because basically what happens with this, um, leukemia is that each month it exponentially increases your uh, likelihood of actually getting full curability in five years. And so coming up on one year is a big deal, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we saw signs that our daughter wasn't doing right. Uh, wasn't doing well. We 
saw ear infections, saw falling asleep at school. We, we had excessive amounts of leg pain. There was just a lot of factors. And at the time, you know, we would go to the doctor, we would talk to physical therapists, we would do everything we felt like we were doing as best we could as parents, but as individual items, they didn't really do much. But when you combine them all, there was something really not right there. And finally, when she started having bruising, uh, we took her in for blood work and, you know, in hindsight's always 2020, maybe, maybe we should have pushed for blood work earlier because of how tired she was getting because of, um, how hard it was for her to walk. But uh, again, we didn't know, and we did the best we could at the time. And so after we got the blood work, it came back irregular. We went to the ER and, you know, that kind of started a whole journey that, that, um, changed our life forever for sure. I mean, you talk a lot about those experiences in the book, so I definitely want everyone to pick that up. I'm going to have that linked up in the show notes, but one year out of treatment, congratulations on that. That's exciting. Yeah, no, it's a big deal. Um, we go back once a month for a year and then once every two months for a year and then basically three months, four months and then six months for a year. And then after that, it's annual checkups. So it's a big, it's a big, um, it's a big deal to be where we're at right now. We've had some major milestones and, um, you know, when you look back on it or even when we talk about it right now, it just, uh, kind of makes you really appreciate. And I just have a lot of sense of gratitude. No, I, I love hearing about that. And I've had a lot of listeners reach out before they knew that you were going to be coming on and just say that they're going through something incredibly difficult in their life, whether it be a sick family member, or maybe losing a job. And you and your wife, it seems, did such a great job being able to handle those stressors and turn them into positives. So do you have any any way of shifting your mindset for someone who's going through something really difficult like that? Well, I mean, I think it's almost like you have to build up before something difficult happens. So if you're in a position right now where life's kind of cruising, you're doing pretty well, your family's pretty healthy, you're, you know, you're a single guy, good career, whatever it is, you know, I, I, or, or girl, I, I believe you have an obligation at this time to reflect on your life and say, Hey, where can I start building a hedge? And that goes to your fitness. So start working out, start walking, start doing something. Let's, let's build up a hedge against, you know, being, a enabled to perform daily tasks that goes financially. Let's start busting our butt to build this financial head. And then obviously it goes with your relationships where, you know, you're present, you're focused, you're really dedicating yourself to your significant other and your family. And the reason why you want to build up these hedges is that you just never know when life's going to throw you a curveball, and you want to be as best prepared as possible. And I think, I think without knowing it, my family and I were as best prepared as possible. You know, I thought competing at the CrossFit games, I was kind of testing myself physically, but I was really testing myself emotionally, spiritually with my family. And we were learning how to overcome adversity and learning how to overcome those obstacles in a not life and death situation like competing really helped us develop the mental tools that when things really got bad, like, I mean, really bad, we were able to come together as a family because we had developed a set of skills outside where it wasn't as demanding, but it was still a big deal. And I'm grateful every day for the competition that I did, not because of the awards, accolades, money, whatever, but because it put me in the best position that when Ava was diagnosed, my wife and I really looked at it as, hey, we got to come together. We need to beat this. You know, it's, we're not, we're not playing. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a game. And uh, I think that was something that looking back on it um, was a huge blessing. Yeah, no, it's interesting you talking about building a hedge. We just had on Ramit Sethi, who's a financial guy, and he talks about building those hedges in your finances. And you break it up, fitness, finances, and relationships. 
do you approach it by these three buckets when you're getting ready for a new year? We're in early 2019 right now. So do you plan out your beer, your year based on those three? Yeah. I mean, I do a couple, couple things. First off is I just evaluate myself, right? I'll be sitting in the sauna or where, you know, riding the bike. I'm just saying, Hey, how am I doing? Right. Like big macro picture. Like I have like these reflections, like, Hey, how am I doing work? I improve on. And then obviously on a regular basis, I'm saying, Hey, what can we do as a business to improve? Um, what can we do as a father, a husband, and then obviously with my fitness. And I think setting yourself incremental goals is really important and kind of holding yourself accountable to these milestones, I think are a big deal. And I think that it's important to have these reflections. Some people don't have them, but I do, because I believe that if I constantly reflect, say, how am I doing? I won't wake up one day and be like, Hey man, I really dropped the ball with X or I didn't reach my potential with Y. I think if you can consistently ask yourself, there are no regrets. Like I have no regrets in my competition years in CrossFit because I would always reflect each year, was I ready to make the commitment as a family? And eventually got to the point where we were not ready to make that commitment. We had to focus 100% on our daughter getting well, which is what we intended to do and what we did do. It's really interesting to hear your approach and how to the core you guys are as one unit, as a family. And it seems like that's so important for everything that you do. When you guys are, are talking about your goals, are you writing them down or is this just a conversation or something you have in your brain? Um, it's mainly conversations, me and my wife. Um, so, I mean, the entire family, we're super blessed. I have the best in-laws in the world. Um, my family's awesome. Um, but in regards to uh, my wife and I, yeah, like I'll give you an example. About a year ago, I sat her down and I was like, hey, you know, Ava's finishing up treatment. I'm feeling really good right now. Um before Ava got sick, I used to travel a couple hundred days a year and, you know, trying to build our business, growing it globally. And this last year, for example, in 2018, um, I was on the road, I, I maybe 120 days, I believe, but 30 days of that was with my family in Italy, in Europe. So I don't know if that counts, but anyways, I was traveling a lot and I just asked my wife, I said, Hey, since Ava got sick, I stopped traveling as much because we had to focus on one thing, but you know, I need to know, like, are you on board with growing this business? And we need to have an adult conversation right now, kind of shift the gear from, Hey, you know, having your day-to-day conversations to, Hey, let's sit down, let's have a glass of wine and let's talk this through, you know, we can stay where we're at right now and we're doing well and we can keep things consistent, or we could try and reach our potential as a business, which I think we have so much that we could do, but it's going to take a little bit of sacrifice on this end. You know, where, where do you feel like we're at? Where, what are you on board with this sacrifice? Are you on board with this vision? And ultimately, we both had to be on on the same page that we wanted to reach our potential as business owners, and we knew what the sacrifices were beside that. But I think if your partner is not on board with that, it makes it very challenging. You know, I think anybody who's starting a business in particular or looking to grow their business, you got to make sure that people surrounding you are on board with that and are there to support you. Because if they're not, there's always going to be this, you know, something in the back of your head saying to you, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't go do that. Yeah, no, the support staff is key. It's so motivating to hear how dialed in, how focused you are. But you mentioned back in high school, even around college, you weren't so dialed in. What transpired that really got you focused? I mean, I think it was a number of things. I think it was showing up to junior college and not being like cool, walking around. You don't have people high-fiving you. You just walk around and you're just another person. I think it was also going to junior college versus going to a four-year university where all my friends went. I think at the time I didn't realize it, but I was embarrassed a little bit, right? I was embarrassed that the rest of my friends got to their first. What, what ended up happening is at the end of high school, where the first basically outsiders could look in and say, hey, you know, is this person on a trajectory to do something special? 
for the first time in my life, I wasn't on the same playing field as the rest of my friends, right? It was very quantifiable. They got accepted. I didn't, right? And that threw me off. And so then I go into junior college and it was a number of factors, but it was primarily, I didn't want to be stuck there. I wanted to get back in school with my wife. I wanted to graduate with her and I wanted to prove to myself and to other people that I could be on the same path my friends were. And uh, I just need to be woken up. And that was junior college. It's funny when I graduated from high school, the president of our school um, said something in the commencement speech that really belittled me. And, and I don't even think he remembers at the time, but I, I remember just sinking down into my chair and my family, my friends, my, you know, my in-laws or future in-laws were all there. And this was the first time that I just felt like, man, he, he used some type of term that basically was like a joke against me. He got a good laugh from people, but what he didn't realize was how it made me feel. Um, but that was also fuel, right? Is that he fueled me to go into junior college, to go into college and to do something special because I didn't want to be that guy anymore. I, I didn't want to be the class clown anymore. And lo and behold, you know, uh, two weeks ago, I got inducted into the hall of fame for my, for my high school, which was pretty funny from the same guy. Actually, it was pretty funny. It's unbelievable how in other people's eyes, little moments like that can truly fuel your fire and change your life trajectory. So that's interesting hearing about that. And then also congratulations on being inducted into the hall of fame in high school. That's great to hear. Yeah. The, yeah. I just thought that was kind of surreal. It was funny. So, so at this point in your life, how does fitness really become an integral part of it? Like today, you mean, or, or no, no, no. You're talking I mean, about high school, oh, yeah, in high in school, junior college. junior college? Yeah. I mean, my typical schedule. So I got introduced to the gym when I was 14. I started working the front desk um, at a community center. And then I got introduced to the actual gym gym. I believe I was like 15 or 16. I started working the front desk there and I was selling Gatorades, doing stuff like that. And then I got introduced to sales when I graduated from high school. I was you know 18. I got introduced to sales and I started selling gym memberships. And my typical schedule would be, I'd go to school in the morning, work out, and then sell gym memberships throughout the evening. Then in the late evenings, um, my friends and I started a company that ended up failing. And when I wasn't trying to build the company, I was trying to learn everything I could from the gym owner about the gym business. And I would ride the elliptical with him and do different things. So typical, you know, once I got into junior college and I realized I was, you know, slacking off, I really motivated myself to go to school, work out, um, use that time to kind of fuel my body. And then I sold gym memberships and then I met with the gym owner to kind of learn. I did that for a lot of years. And fitness was just a part of my life. And then I got introduced to, you know, CrossFit and it really kind of transformed the way I looked at fitness, where I started looking at everything against the clock. And that's where this idea of AMRAP in my life started to kind of initially take hold. And then I really started ingraining it once my daughter was born in 2011, where I was never more productive than when I was racing against the clock in my workouts. And how can I integrate that in everything else I was doing? Oh, I cannot wait to dive really deep into that and how you view time. But you mentioned the failed business with your buddy. So what were you guys trying to launch? I mean, I, we, I've had a, a couple of failed business attempts, um, but ultimately this one was a, a clothing company called Faded Lifestyles. And there was five of us, four of us that started it. And, you know, I learned a lot about partnerships, learned a lot about investing, learned a lot about not knowing, you know, much about the industry that we were getting into. And it was a super valuable lesson. You know, we wanted to start a business because we thought it'd be cool, but we didn't actually have the kind of background to be successful. And moving forward, that was a really, really big factor for me when every day when I said to myself, hey, I want to open the gym one day, 
you know, what can I do today to put me in the best position that when we do open the gym, we are going to be successful. And starting a clothing company really laid the foundation for, hey, it's not a game. You signing a, you're signing up to real expenses, real liabilities. Make sure that when you sign the dotted line, you're ready to rock and roll and you have the confidence to do it. So do you think when starting a new business, it's essential? One of the integral members has to have unique experience in that field? Or do you think being naive at times can be a benefit? No, in, in my opinion, I think it's really critical, in my opinion, that you stay in your lane, you know you know, know you don't know, and know how you're going to win and why you're going to win. You know, I think, I think when we look at our business, we say to ourselves, how are we the best in the industry? What are we doing to be the best in this particular field? And if we are, let's, let's get after it. Um, but if we're not, let's maybe pivot or, or, or become the best, but maybe that's not the right you know, avenue for us. I mean, again, talking about wine, coffee, I am a huge, I, I would love to start a coffee and wine bar where in the morning it's coffee and the night it's, it's uh, wine, but I don't know anything about that industry. I need to stay in my lane and know that we know a lot about fitness. We know a lot about the gym business. Let's stick here. And maybe one day there might be an opportunity to get involved with this coffee and wine and attach it to a gym. Who knows? But for now, I think it's really important that when you start a business, it's got to be with something that not only you're passionate about, not only something you're, you're uniquely aware about, but something that when you walk into a room, people are like, oh yeah, that dude, he's been doing this for a long time. He has a wealth of knowledge and we should be listening to what he has to say because then you know that you're going to be able to be successful at whatever business you're getting into in that area. I think that last minute would probably save a lot of entrepreneurs thousands and thousands of dollars and, and a lot of time there. Hey, if you ever all open up that uh, coffee and wine bar, I'll be your first customer. would would love to try <laughs> that out. But, but I want to jump to 2008. This was a crucial year for you. You end up winning the CrossFit Games and that led you to open up your first gym. Let's talk about the 2008 CrossFit Games. You finish number one. What's that feeling like? I mean, it was big um, at the time. You know, I had just signed a new lease on a very small location. Some guy took a chance on me and I'm grateful every day for what he did. Um, so he took a chance on me. And then a week later, you know, I mean, I had just graduated from college. I had just signed a lease and then, and then I show up to this ranch and I'm like, all right, let's throw down and I ended up winning. And that kind of catapulted a lot of additional things. Um, you know, from that day for the next eight years, you know, I competed at the CrossFit games and it became a huge component of my life. And obviously at the same time, business started to grow. I had just proposed to my wife. I mean, it was a, it was a crazy time when you think about it. I mean, in 2009, I competed again at the CrossFit Games, performed well. Our business had moved into a new location at the time, and I got married. So there was a lot of moving parts in 2008 and 2009. You talk about everything that was going on, and one of the sayings I live my life by is momentum breeds momentum, and that you take all of these little things and they keep compounding on top of each other. How important do you think it is compiling these successes? I mean, I think it's important. I think what's really important in life is that, you know, different doors start to open up and you need to know which ones to run through, which ones to close and which ones to kind of dabble in. And I think for me, a few doors opened up and I just ran through them as hard as I could and, and kept my head down and tried to build something special. And, you know, CrossFit back then was a lot different than where it evolved to. It was very grassroots and there wasn't much money or fame in it. And so it was actually a good thing for me because it encouraged me to build a big business because I wanted to provide for my family. And uh, I'm grateful every day for that. I mean, you seem like the friendliest, nicest guy. Do you have like a really savage mentality when you're competing? Um, I wouldn't call it savage. I'd say that my training leading up to it is savage. Like I want to, I want to, you know, just like in business, I want to be so good at what I'm doing that when I walk in there, 
Like I know I earned the right to be there and to be a contender. And every day leading up to that competition, I'm thinking about that. Now, when I get there, um, you know, I'm not going to be a jerk and I'm, I'm, I'm super good vibes, everybody, but yeah, I mean, I I'm coming there to win. Right. And, and, um, I'm coming there to perform at my best effort and that's what I'm looking for. And I, I take that same thing into business, you know, like, I don't know, like I'm not playing around. Like if I choose to do something, we're going to go do it. And, um, I don't think you need to be a, I don't think you need to be a jerk to anybody. I think you could be a super positive, super fun, friendly individual, but it doesn't mean you're not competitive. Yeah, no, I didn't. When I said savage, I didn't mean you were going to be a jerk yeah. to anyone, anything like that. I, I love that mentality, though, about when you walk in the gym. I mean, you've got a different mindset. You're, you're there to compete. You're there to do your absolute best, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, if you're a training partner of mine, like that's that's the mentality, right? That's that's what it is. We're, we're there to put in work. We're there to grind it out. And, and that goes for anything. You know, I mean, that's just the way it works. And if you're not prepared to do that, then don't be there. And that goes for everything. You know, if you're going to go to dinner with your wife, like be at dinner with your wife. Like if you're going to go and go sit in a meeting, be in a meeting, let's crush this thing. But if you're going to go and be on the floor and go put in some hard work, then put in some hard work. But if you're just going to dilly dally and be one foot in one foot out, I mean, then go do something else, you know? So back in 08, what do you think it was that truly set you apart from the rest of the field that you were able to finish number one overall? I mean, I think at the time, you know, 08 was really, um, that was partly luck. Um, with the events, partly just the grit, but I wouldn't say there's anything like specific that comes out of mind. Um, but as the years transitioned on, I think it was just consistency. It was identifying what was in my control was out of my control, staying focused on what was in my control, understanding that the use of positive self-talk, I think these things really helped me at the highest level in competing. And, uh, it turns out they, they helped me even more outside the gym. So your positive self-talk, what does that actually look like? I mean, what it looks like is just coaching yourself through a workout the same way you'd have a coach coach you. You're playing lacrosse. Your coach would never say, hey, man, like, you're really slow today. Like, they would be like, hey, you know, uh, move your feet or um, stay focused, you know, whatever. They would, they would encourage you through, through these words. And I think sometimes when we're out there as an athlete on the field, you say to yourself, man, I feel sluggish. I feel slow. But those things are not helping you perform. You got to say, hey, the way I feel right now is the best I'm going to feel all day. We got to get after it. And there's no other option. And I need to coach myself as if I was coaching somebody else. Talking about helping you perform. And I'm thinking about your career as a whole. What, what things early on did you think were essential and over the past few years just got completely eliminated? I mean, I would just say a deeper understanding of why we were competing, you know? I would say that for anybody who competes in anything, whether that's a lacrosse tournament, um, CrossFit, whatever, is that a lot of people need inspiration to go out and work out. I get that. And if you're not inspired to go work out because you want to look better or have the health benefits, you know, I can't say I understand that, but I could say, I get it. You haven't done it in your, you're 40 years old. You haven't done it yet. You're probably not going to do it for those particular reasons. Right. But maybe an inspiration to go out there and compete, maybe an inspiration to go out there and work out is what happens in between your ears. And to utilize positive self-talk, to utilize some of these things, you can develop them so well through fitness. You're on a jog, it gets hard. You find a way to reframe a negative into a positive and you keep pushing for another mile. Boom, when you go home, you feel better about yourself. You accomplish something that at the end of the day wasn't life and death, but you learn these skills 
that when things get challenging at the workplace, you're having a tough meeting, I think these things transfer over. So early on in my career, what I thought was a big deal was winning. Looking back on it, it was about winning. It was about this, but what it really was about was overcoming the times I wasn't winning. Yeah, I feel so fortunate having played sports. You mentioned those skills that do transfer over into your relationships, life at home and in business. So it's interesting to hear you talk about and how you've used those. We talked about your routines a lot. And I know the listeners, we got some questions when they heard you were going to come on, dying to hear about what it looked like when you were preparing for games. So let's talk about your last few games. What did the day look like? How many times were you in the gym? Also, what was your nutrition like? I mean, traditionally leading up and it was a morning cardio session, fasting cardio, um, getting in something like that. Midday was a traditional CrossFit, heavy lifting, uh, you know, like a traditional like 60 minute session. And I'd put on the clock and I'd hold myself, my, I'd self accountable to that clock. As soon as the clock started, I was going and I said, Hey, I got to get in this amount of work in 60 or 90 minutes. Cause I had other things I had to do. And so it'd be a morning cardio that, and then in the evening, I'd get in some type of stamina work. So that could be, you know, handstand work, um, pull up work, whatever it may be. And then boom, uh, you know, I'd walk into the house sweaty and my wife would be mad at me because I was two minutes late for dinner. And that was like traditionally all the time. And as far as nutrition, I didn't pay as much attention to it as I do today because I was putting in so much volume. Um, I was able to kind of get away with not as best of nutrition looking back and I would have liked to have dialed that in a little bit more. Yeah, no, nutrition, it's been fun to watch that evolve for athletes as a whole over the past few years and how specific people have gotten. What about recovery tools? I know the past few years, athletes have so much more access to these. Anything that you still use? I know you mentioned the sauna, the hot, cold, anything else? I mean, I think deep tissue work has its place. I think, um, I just think now because I'm getting older and I've beat up my body for a few years, um, it's just a, a better warm up. I need to warm up more to get my body in the positions that I'm looking to get them into. Longer warm up. Yep. I think everyone getting a little bit older knows exactly what you're talking about there. I want to know about pushing your body to the limit. You mentioned if you're on a run and it starts to get tough, that self-talk you use. What about pushing yourself to absolute failure? I know you've experienced that before. What are your thoughts around that? I mean, I think there's a time and a place for it. I think that, you know, if you're looking for health and wellness out of fitness, you probably don't need to take yourself there. If you're trying to compete in a sport, I think you do. And I, I, I think that just winning is winning. Meaning if you're going into the gym, you're pushing yourself to a moderate level, keep doing that. And over time, moderate becomes extensive compared to where you started. But I don't think you need to get to a point where you're throwing up, you're on the ground. I, I think that that might be for if you're trying to compete in a professional sport. And there's a big difference, you know, like if you're playing you know, two-hand touch football, it's great. Go out there and do it. But if you want to train for the NFL, it requires a different mindset and there's pros and cons to both. Yeah, I think understanding those pros and cons, understanding what you're trying to get out of the physical activity you're doing is essential. Jason, something I really admire about you is that you've been able to take a sport like CrossFit and be able to build a business out of it. And I know we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of business people, entrepreneurs listening to this call right now. Can you talk about the different ventures you have? I know you've got multiple things you're juggling. I'm sure they would love hearing about some of them. Yeah. I mean, so we started the company in 2008. Um, since then, we've grown. So we have about, we have 22 locations globally. And it's dispersed into three three verticals. So if you want to talk like business, business, 
Um, our three verticals are um, open to the public locations, and we offer um, you know community-based functional fitness. Some locations offer you know cross. We have a variety of other offerings. We have a 30-minute offering, 45-minute offering, et cetera. They're called NC Fit. They're open to the public. We have them through the Bay Area and Cabo, Mexico. Then we have the corporate side of our house where we service companies. And this is a huge part of our business. Western Digital was a partner of ours we got involved with years ago, and they've been exceptional. Through them, we've expanded globally. We have other partners as well, of course. And we have locations at the Bay Area and throughout Asia where we do community-based fitness for companies, which I think you know, create synergies, creates increased productivity. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And then obviously we have a third vertical, which is more digital. So that's going to be for the at-home user, for the, someone who's traveling or our business to business tools. So, you know, for many years, we were trying to create a product that we could share um, our session plans, our program with our coaches so that they have a consistent product, whether you're in China or Mexico, we wanted our coaches to sing from the same sheet of music. Well, once we developed that app, once we spent all that money and the time, we said, hey, well, why don't we sell this to other gyms? And so that's another vertical of our business. Gotcha. No, thanks for, for shedding some light on the three verticals you have. I'm interested, 2019, in terms of where digital is going, is that the most important vertical of your business? Um, I wouldn't say it's, it's most important. I think each one of our verticals is important and they each have their, their growth trajectory. I think digital obviously has, you know, there's a reason why these companies, digital, I mean, they scale easier. Um, there's less overhead. Uh, there's, there's a ton of benefit from the digital space. But I think the corporate wellness space has a lot of legs to it too. I think we could transform the way people look at corporate wellness from running on a treadmill with headphones in to having a community ambassador, a coach, teaching people, connecting people. And I think there's so many benefits from that. But then obviously open to the public as well. Um, I'd say each one of our verticals has a lot of potential. What we need to do better as a business is having someone in charge of each one who really can lead the charge. And um, right now, back to like the AMRAP mentality where we're trying to be present focused, I feel like we're a little bit, you know, we're a little bit spread thin. I think we need to hire up a little bit to get to where we want to be. Yeah, a little bit spread thin. I mean, multinational. When you first set out with your first gym, could you ever foresee this taking place? It's hard to say, you know, I get that question sometimes. I think that again, back to the question of when doors open, you, you run through them when, you know, and I think the corporate wellness business really led to us being able to do some amazing things. And I'm forever grateful to Western digital and the team there that gave us the financial stability to self-fund a lot of our growth. And who would have thought in 2008, those opportunities would have presented themselves. I don't know, but I'd also say that, you know, I'm a guy who, follows up once, follows up twice, follows up three times. And I'll keep following up if I think there's potential there until you tell me to stop. And I think that's just when, what I was taught when I was early on in my sales career, just to be resilient at that. And that opens up a lot of doors if you stick with it. You mentioned your resiliency. I'm also interested in how you accumulate new knowledge, new skills, understanding these different verticals of your business. Is it reaching out to people who've done it before? Is it studying different books? Or, hey, do you just put your head down and go? I, mean, I think finding mentors, finding people that have done what you want to do or are currently doing what you want to do and just connecting with them. I mean, right now I'm on a current um, trajectory of meeting with about 10 different people from different industries discussing our business and saying, hey, looking at it from an outsider um, in an objective way where you're not emotional, what would you do if you were us, right? Where, where, what, what, would, 
what, what would you do? And just hearing what they have to say. And then once we hear what they have to say, obviously debating it, thinking about it, and then creating a trajectory for our business, I think is important. I love doing that, getting those outsized perspectives. What led you to start doing that? Well, I mean, I think early on in my career, I had some really great mentors who taught me a lot. And since then, I have too. And I think um, as soon as you think you know everything, you basically know nothing. And I think it's important to um, discuss a lot of different people and get their feedback and then see where it goes. Discussing different business opportunities, it seems like you probably get a lot of deal flow in different things outside of fitness. Is, is there anything that piques your interest that, that you're not involved with, but you think you could do a good job executing on? Like from a business perspective or from a brand, for like a different brand coming in? Or you mean like a, a new business venture? Correct. Mm, I mean, I think there's a lot of legs to um, like a WeWork with, with, a, with a gym attached to it. I think there's a lot of legs to like someone who could come in and combine some type of like really high-end coffee shop with a really high-end workspace with a really high-end boutique fitness center. I think there's something there. Um, but I, I'm not prepared to, to be the guy to spearhead that yet, but I, I do think there's a lot of legs to that. And, um, for now we're just sticking to our lane and making sure that we're reaching our full capabilities and what we're providing before we try and do anything else. I think that's something we haven't done well in the past where we kind of take on too much and we go 80% of the way there. I'd like to look back on our different verticals and say, Hey, we reached our potential there. How do you communicate with your employees? You talk about getting spread thin and understanding what you guys need to execute on better. I mean, you're multinational. How do you stay in touch with all these people? Well, I mean, obviously we do site visits and things of that nature, but um, we have a really good, you know, executive management team in place. Um, frankly, only really one person in the company really reports to me and everybody else kind of reports it to him because I'm a, I'm a terrible manager. You know, I, I kind of grew up a gym rat and that's kind of who I am. I'm more the brand guy, trajectory, whatever. But I, what I found is that I was really bad at, you know, um, and, uh, you know, quarterly reviews, giving good trajectory. I, I was very bad at that. And so having someone on our team who's doing that, and then I basically show up at the locations and kind of be the ambassador for the business has been really successful for us. So we talked about your book a little bit, as many reps as possible, succeeding in competition, business, and life by making the most of every single minute. It's a great read. I really loved it. How did you finally decide to write this book? I mean, I, I had thought about writing the book before Ava got sick and I wanted to write like an anti-hack book, like a roll up your sleeves, let's get to work book. And then when she got sick, it made me realize just how important it was to put in the work so that if something in your life does happen, you're as best prepared to do it. And so it took me a lot of years. I mean, a lot, a lot of years, but I'm finally proud of what we put out. I think it could always be better, of course. Um, but, I, but I really wanted to put out something that, that I believed in. Um, we don't, we, first off, we donated all the pre-sales. We're donating most of the money from this book. So I didn't do it for the money. I did it because I wanted to put out a book that hopefully someone at junior college, they pick it up and they get inspired. I didn't write any words in that book to make it longer, to charge more that didn't add value. Right. I, I wrote a book that I wanted to write for, to, to inspire someone who was me. And, um, that was the inspiration behind it. You mentioned you guys are donating most of the book. For anyone looking to pick it up, where are those donations going? So you can pick it up on Amazon, as many reps as possible. Um, would love it. If you enjoy it, please leave a review. Uh, but the most of the proceeds go to an organization called Nigu. Uh, it's a never, ever give up organization. They're an organization my wife and I started partnering with early on when Ava got diagnosed. And we've raised a lot of money and made a significant impact. My wife hosts an event called Ava's Kitchen. 
where we fundraise and support families who need it in a number of different ways. And that's where the money goes. So we have a fund with them that we kind of manage, but it's underneath their fund. So that this way there's a lot of checks and balances there. So listeners, pick up a great book. Also support an unbelievable cause there. Jason, you you also have the podcast if you didn't already have enough things going on. I would love to know who's a remarkable guest you've had on that just really surprised you. That's a great question. I mean, I'm interested in all of our guests because they've been able to accomplish stuff in sport, but then also be able to have other areas of their life that they kind of, um, you know, are good at. Um, you know, Shane Dorian was really interesting. What it takes to drop in on an 80 foot wave. Um, Seth Rollins is a WWE superstar. His, his lifestyle is very unique and how he balances it. Uh, I've had a lot of really powerful episodes that I've obviously enjoyed. If you're into CrossFit, there's a ton of CrossFit ones on there, but if you're into more like business stuff, I mean, obviously Gary V, um, he'll probably, you know, throw a little, you know, he, he I had him on and he's probably going to, hit your audience in a little bit of a different way. So I wouldn't say anybody really, everybody has hit the expectation that I thought because I see highly of them, but I think it depends on what you're looking for as a listener of what you could cap catcher from that that conversation. Yeah, no, I'm very particular in terms of what I spend my time listening to when it comes to podcasts. I truly enjoy yours. I love how you do hit on different guests. You mentioned Shane Dorian, Big Wave Surfer, you had on Gary Vee, plenty of CrossFit athletes. So you can get a bit of everything, take away some great life experiences. I want to do a few quick hit questions with you. You ready for this? Sure. What's been the physically toughest workout you've ever been through? Uh, Camp Pendleton Triathlon in 2011 at the CrossFit Games. Why was that? Um, because they had, uh, basically these Marines were stationed every like random amounts. It was a, it was a 10 mile run we were doing in a place called microwave mountain. That was the worst, <laughs> worst hill run I've ever done. And they were segmented in, in unique ways where, you know, you go up and be like, Oh, you know, where are we out on the run? And I, they would just say, Oh, you have one mile left. And every one of them said the exact same thing. <laughs> and you have one mile left. You have one mile left. You have one mile left. And, you know, at, at, towards the end, you know, I'm, I'm like barely crawling and I'm like, I didn't even ask. I just like, Hey, thank you for your service. I just kept going. Oh, that <laughs> you is know, awesome. that was the worst. You, you yeah. know, it's going to suck when it's called microwave mountain. I'm sure it's pretty hot there in your eyes. What's the most impressive thing you've done athletically? Uh, get back on the podium in 2014 CrossFit games and also be on the podium in 2008. I think as a sport spanned such a big distance, I think it was really cool for me to be able to get back on the podium and and uh, still be a dominant force that many years later. Oh, I love that answer. What are you better at than anyone else? Uh, well, I wouldn't say anyone else, but I'd say that compared to most people, I'm pretty relentless. You know, if I really want something, my my brain won't stop thinking about it. And it's a blessing and a curse. Right? I'm, I For a lot of years, I was very reactive. If I wanted something, boom, I'd go out there and do it. Now, I sit back a little bit more. I develop the thought a little bit more. But I mean, like, for example, I wanted an espresso machine. So I went out and I got an espresso machine. Like I'm very, if I really want something, I'm going to put my mind to it and find a way to get it. it and um, I can't stop thinking about it until I accomplish that task. What about a book all listeners should read? Uh, as Many Reps as Possible by Jason Klepa. There you go. I love the plug. Who's the most impressive athlete you've seen? This doesn't have to be CrossFit oriented either. <sighs> I mean, you know, guys like LeBron obviously come in to, you know, play. They're just so dominant for so many years. Um, 
I would say it's just someone who, I mean, someone I know, per, I mean, that's a really, Carrie Walsh is really interesting. She's been in the Olympics so many times and she's been able to stay. I mean, I think anybody who can go to the Olympics four or five, six times is really interesting because you're staying at the top of your sport for, you know, decades. That's super interesting to me. So I'd say anybody who's lasted the test of time, um, you know, an example of LeBron that I think uh, is really interesting, or even like a Tom Brady, they're at the top of their game for so long. But LeBron got into the NBA, you know, out of high school. And this guy, I think it's really interesting that at such a young age, you can get so much money, yet you didn't get caught up in the, you didn't get caught up, right? You didn't get wrapped up. You stayed, you kept your head down, you kept working. And you can say what you want about guys like that. But I think it's really interesting that at a young age, they surround themselves with people that obviously kept them grounded and kept grinding it out. I, I think that's cool. I love hearing your perspective on that. You've talked about a lot of different people. I want to know who outside of CrossFit are you learning the most from? I mean, I, can, I think Mark Cuban has really left an impact on me by treating business like a sport. I think that, that his book years ago left an impact on me because you never know who's coming at you. You never win the games being played but it's always being played and there's always someone coming at you. And I think that was really impactful for me to understand that. Final one, finish this sentence. In 2050, Jason Kalipa will be doing? 2050? Yep. Um, wow. I will be watching my grandkids um, while their parents are, you know, in a fulfilling career. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be watching my grandkids you know, doing whatever I want to be doing with them because I have the financial stability to be doing that while, while their parents are, are doing something that's fulfilling them. That's a very powerful answer. That's a great answer there, Jason. So you've got a lot going on. I want to make the make sure the listeners can stay connected with you. We mentioned the book, As Many Reps as Possible, Succeeding in Competition, Business, and Life by making the most of every single minute. Also donations when they purchase that book so you guys can pick it up. Jason, where else can the listeners stay connected with you? I think Instagram, Jason Kalipa, um, jasonkalipa.com, both of our podcasts. We have one called AMRAP Mentality, one called Business of Fitness, if you're more interested in that side. Um, But those are both really great ways. Awesome. Jason, well, thanks so much for joining us on What Got You There. Yeah, no, really appreciate it. It's been awesome. And I hope everybody has a great day. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? Or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe? If that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all of my fitness goals. I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I have ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of What Got You There, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. When you check out, make sure you request their one-in-one-out kit. They do this super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10,000.cc forward slash WGYT to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. 
a few months ago, my body was experiencing a ton of pain, and that's when my friend and former podcast guest, Noah Olson, turned me on to Pure Spectrum CBD. Their CBD products have been tremendous in relieving a lot of the pain in my body. Their products are pure because everything they make is tested every time for quality, consistency, and efficiency. They're 100% organic, third-party tested. There's a 100% guarantee, and they're THC-free. If you want to receive 10% off the entire site, head to PureSpectrumCBD.com and enter code WGYT. That's 10% off the entire website at PureSpectrumCBD.com with code WGYT. For the What Got You There listeners who love to travel and want to see the world, listen up. We've teamed up with Globekick, who make it affordable to enjoy peak life experiences with like-minded people from around the world. Globekick expertly designs, curates, and scouts global adventures for you to join. Each trip lasts one week and is designed to balance their unique blend of adventure, culture immersion, and relaxation. Globekick has some epic adventures planned, such as cage diving with great white sharks in Cape Town, South Africa, dog sledding and northern light chasing in Norway, and to see the rest, head to globekick.com. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then make sure to stop at globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.